Wanted, and hello everybody. Welcome to episode one of the Mia Sun Road English Speaking Podcast. Uh, this is the pilot episode. My name is Susie Shaw. Uh, you may know me from the Record Meister Podcast, which I did for a few years, or writing pretty much all over the place. Uh, joining me today are two writers from Mia Sun Road, uh, Maurice and Toby. Say hi, guys. Hi guys. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Thank you for that. And um, we are going to jump right in to the Bayer Leverkusen match. Uh, it was a three-one win, but for Bayern on opening day on Friday on a rainy, miserable day at the Allianz Arena. <clears throat> Missing the match were Manuel Neuer, Javi Martinez, Jerome Boateng, uh, James Rodriguez, and Thiago Alcantara. Uh, the starting 11 was Ulreich, Kimmich, Sule, Hummels, and Alaba in the back four. Uh, the new midfield woohoo trio of Tolisso, Rudy, and Vidal in midfield, and Müller, Lewandowski, and Ribéry up top. <clears throat> What do you think of the starting 11, guys? Uh, I guess it's really the best that uh, Ancelotti could do as far as everybody being absent who is absent. Or would you have done something else? Well, assuming that Ian Robben wasn't fit to play 90 minutes, that probably was the safest choice. Yeah, I think I think so as well. Um, we saw him put out um, Tolisso in this special kind of uh, midfield uh, already in preseason, so I think that was a safe bet, and he didn't want to risk putting out uh, Robin not being 100 percent. And so I think that was probably the safest way to play for for Angelotti. I would have to agree. Um... We'll talk about the 4-3-3 in a little bit, but first let's cover the goals scored by Bayern. The first goal in just nine minutes into the match, a Sebastian Rude free kick finds Sule at the back post. Um, I know, <clears throat> I know Leverkusen was tasked with covering Sule, um, but that's kind of difficult given his height. Uh, is this going to be something to exploit this season? Maurice? Yeah, I think, I think of course, uh, we have a pretty good um, defender in, in Sula and also in, in, in Hummels, who can both score on, on those headers. And we, we didn't saw, see it that often last season, mainly because our, our free kicks and our corners were miserable. But maybe that is something that can change this season. Rudy looked pretty comfortable taking those free kicks from, from midfield, little Tony Kroos flashbacks there and um, so yeah maybe that, that will be a way we can score uh, more often this season and uh, the second goal was just nine minutes later uh, Vidal grabs the corner uh, and lofts a pass oh lovely little chip pass to Tolisso who heads in also at the back post um, not surprisingly Mamedi kept him on uh, kind of a big mixed bag for Mamedi on the day for Leverkusen as he also scored a goal for Leverkusen uh, just kind of tasked with that back post sort of defense didn't do too good of a job on the day would you agree Toby? Uh, well, yeah, generally Leverkusen aren't that well known for their defending abilities when it comes to set pieces and that corner kick was a prime example of that. I don't even know if it was a, a something Bayern had planned uh, to, to do this, uh, the set play, but 
that's just not a goal you can concede. The first one, that's that's a free kick uh, header, unlucky, but it happens. But that corner kick was such a random and s such an unnecessary goal to concede. Pretty much summed up the entire first half for that team, yeah. Yeah, of course. It seemed like it seemed like Bayern was uh, very ably or easily able to exploit uh, Leverkusen, something which they may have been known to do in the past a little bit, <laughs> and kind of kept that and kind of kept that uh, that whole uh, sort of tradition going. And then we got to halftime, and. Uh, Shortly after the break, um, uh, video-assisted refereeing was used to show Arangas uh, pulling down Lewandowski, even though it was a little bit soft, in the box. And uh, Bob shoots a penalty and gets the third goal for Bayern. Um, how, uh, I can posit this to either of you. How are you feeling about uh, VAR, and how do you think it was effective or not effective in the match today? Well, I think it's it's the right step for 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 first league uh, soccer. I think it was um, the right call to make, and um, I think maybe this was not the the prime example, but I think this can be useful in the future just to help the referee and really assist him in, in a way which wasn't possible prior to it. Of course, we saw in the other matches um, on the weekend that the video assistant referee wasn't always available and some they had some problems with the offside lines that were drawn on the pitch. But if it works and it should work most of the time, I think the, the German association will make sure of that. And I think it will be it will really help the game. And I, I, at least on on television, I didn't think uh, I didn't find it that disturbing as well. So I thought it was um, pretty clear and pretty straightforward. Toby, anything to add? Uh, not really. I have to say um, the decision itself. We could argue about that. I wasn't that certain if it was a penalty, but I can understand why he gave that. Um, the system still has a few issues, but. Generally, it's a necessary step. One thing they should consider is maybe improving the communication from the referee towards the audience. They could check like uh, how it works in hockey or uh, American football. So would you? Where, yeah, yeah. Would you? Would you agree that a microphone might be useful in in uh, in making those determinations where? Um, where the crowd yeah, actually knew what was going on? Yeah, it doesn't have to be like like a long explanation or anything, but just saying, what uh, did I see? What did I decide? There you go. That's it. Because, because it, you know, it, these hand symbols can sometimes be a little uh, weird to see when you're in a stadium especially, or the players are crowding him, so maybe some fans can't see it at all. So why not? You have a nice sound system in the stadium. Use it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I would. I, I would definitely agree. It seems to be. Uh, it's probably working a little bit better than it did in the preseason. And as the season goes around, it can only get better. It's not going to get worse. Um, 
I'm curious how they address uh, the replay, the videos that they're showing the crowds. And that's not exactly clear to me. Like what I see, of course, I'm not in the stadium. I'm in Florida. What I see on TV versus what the VAR, you know, what the what the video referees are seeing and, and so forth. I think it may not it might not be the same thing. I don't know. I can't, you know. That's maybe something, a discussion for a later point. Uh, But if that can all be the same sort of technological thing and then with a microphone on the end, I think I think that would go a long way into satisfying people uh, over decisions that are brought, regardless, regardless of whether they catch maybe the right one or the wrong or a wrong one every once in a while. I think I don't know. Yeah. Totally yeah, agree. Most certainly. Yeah. Okay. So, but then, but then after that third goal, um, Bayern uh, lost a lot of steam, and uh, Ehrlich's uh, new team uh, took control. Uh, what do you think was the cause of that in in the second half? Um, there are kind of some weird stats coming out of the match, and probably uh, the most glaring are are total shots and on-target shots. Total shots for Bayern were 13 to 19 for Leverkusen. I can't remember the last time a Bundesliga team shot more than Bayern did. And 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 on target, but but then you look at on target, and it was eight on target shots by Bayern to four for Leverkusen. So if one thing Bayern did was they did step up in <clears throat> horrible rainy circumstances and actually got the ball on goal. Um, but but what did that? How what started or what signified the? defensive breakdown that really came on in the second half after Bayern's third goal? Well, probably the uh, tactical changes made by Herrlich. Um, first, he introdu- uh, introduced uh, Julian Brandt uh, at the halftime break. And then I think it was pretty much right after that third goal, the Lewandowski penalty, that he changed uh, his formation to a back three. And that was more or less the starting point of the Bayern trouble. I don't know why exactly they struggled so much with that change because it didn't even seem to me like Leverkusen were that much into the system. But just facing something unexpected and spontaneous seemed to cause some massive troubles with Bayern's defense and midfield. Yeah, I think especially the midfield was was totally off. I mean, there were points in the match where I was I was actually trying to look out and and look for look for the for the midfielders because there was um, ne- nearly anybody there. It was like the back four, and then there were like three guys up front, and there was just nobody in in the middle. And I think maybe Rudy tried to. Uh, try to fight against that, but but he was pretty much he pretty much lost there in midfield, especially because um, he couldn't really count on Vidal and Tolisso to to actually help him to implement some kind of build-up play, or at least that was the way I I thought of it. 
Yeah, it did seem. Uh, I think Rudy uh, Rudy has been uh, kind of a boon, I guess, to Ancelotti to begin with, considering the the injury to Thiago, and I guess we'll get into that a little bit uh, a little bit later. Um, yeah. But yeah, it it it, it seemed like it, it, he wasn't doing all the little things that you don't. People don't really realize. I think how good. Of a defender, uh, Chago is. I think that tends to. Yeah. Fly, I think that tends to fly by a lot of people, and 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 Rudy isn't quite available um, to pick those little defenses, defensive move moves up, and that may be only because he just joined a new team, and this is a new setup, and this is, and all of that is probably true. Um, but yeah, it wasn't quite. As stellar a performance as as we've seen from Rudy in the preseason so far, but then again, it can always get better. Yeah, I think I think especially he had he had trouble when Bayer Leverkusen pressed him high up the pitch. Um, that was something that maybe he he isn't used to from from Hoffenheim as much. Um, also because, like I said, Vidal wasn't or Vidal isn't the player that is always available to pass to, always available to pass the ball on to the next player. And I think maybe that was something that, that Rudy struggled with. Um, I think if, if it would have been Thiago and Rudy together, I, I, I couldn't see Bayern, lose, Bayern losing um, control of midfield so easily. Toby, your thoughts? Um, I thought that last sentence would end with uh, <laughs> Thiago and Rudy Bayern wouldn't lose possession ever. I would <laughs> with that. Um, yeah, it was Vidal was admittedly pretty decent uh, defensively in the second half. Yeah, sure. He he did make uh, quite a few key tackles, but uh, when they were in possession. It was pure chaos and probably a good thing that they soon realized um, that counterattacks would be the best measure because that midfield was completely lost. Yeah. Did um and even speaking offensively, uh, did you see the the pass maps? I think it was um, the eleven Tegan uh, or Elf Tegan. Uh, Twitter account that that put the pass maps for the match forward for Bayern. Almost nothing went to Thomas Muller. Did you see? Did you see those? Uh, I didn't see the graphic, but uh, it's not a huge surprise because um, Muller did make some nice runs as, as usual, but. Um, whenever the ball went to the right flank, for example, it was mainly Kimmich doing the work. So, so Müller was more of in a weird position, kind of a second striker, but always creeping around the central areas. But at the same time, kind of coming from the right side. So, I'm not surprised that uh, in terms of passing and touches, he wasn't that involved because he was pretty much just filling whatever hole would come up in the attacking thirds. Yeah. Uh, would you would you uh, would you think that Kimmich, with his youth, uh, provides that uh, right back role in Carlos four three three a little better than Lom would, like more able 
it's it seemed to I mean God, you know, you hate to say that, but but more able to get constantly back up and down the pitch. Yeah, he's more of a vertical fullback. I yeah. think that's that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, a uh, 34-year-old Philip Lahm after 15 years of pro football, he probably could have made these runs. He knew that he shouldn't make these runs. <laughs> well, it with Kimmy, like- with Kimmy, it's a bit different. He, of course, we have to see how it actually works when Robin is a regular on on that wing. Of course, he can overlap then and all that, but. As long as Müller is the guy more or less starting in that area, he's always going to have a lot of space to occupy. All right. So um, I tend to agree. And and like I said, it's hard. You know, you never want to say a bad thing about Lum, ever. I mean, that's horrible, right? (laughs) It's horrible. He's a legend. (laughs) But still... Also hard to find some bad words about Philip Yeah, <laughs> no, of course. And I mean, I was saying that because I was thinking of kind of how the the four three three worked at the be- or did not work at the beginning of last season, and and whether it, it, it seemed like Lam really came on the second half of last season. That's the only reason why I mentioned it. Like he couldn't mm-hmm. be, he couldn't be really arsed to run that whole uh right side at the beginning when nothing was really going right but it 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 became clear even as carlo modified it and switched back to a 4 uh, 4231 and then back to 433 sometimes that uh he was able to control it better in the second half of the season last yeah definitely season. yeah Last season. Okay, moving on. We love you. We love you, Philip. We miss you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so about that four three three, is Ancelotti going to continue with it, or do we switch back to a four two three one when uh, Robin tends to make full appearances, or maybe give a shot to Coleman at doing the same. To, to be quite honest, I don't even know what exactly he's playing these days. <laughs> you, you, you could make a point that it's a 4-3-3. Some could call it a 4-2-3-1. Maybe even a weird lopsided 4-4-2. Yeah. Uh. The, 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 the big thing really is uh, when Robben returns to full steam and Thiago returns, he, he can no longer afford that current solution with Tolisso and um, Müller doing that weird thing on the right flank. So once these two return, he'll have to find a solution with or without Müller. And depending on that, it's going to be a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 or whatever you want to call it. Maurice, do you tend to agree? Yeah, I, I certainly do. Um, I think if, um, if if Robin gets back to the lineup, he will most certainly occupy that, that space on the right wing that Müller always seems to leave a little bit vacant uh, for, for Kimmich and also Tolisso to exploit and to overload that side. And I think if, if Robin gets back... 
And we, we already saw this in, in the late second half against Leverkusen, of course, with not so much possession for Bayern, but we still saw it that if you have both Ribéry and Rom, you have these two classic wingers. And if you have these two wingers, it tends to become more of that 4-2-3-1 with uh, Müller and Lewandowski then as, as the more central figures and then like like Toby already said you can't afford to have Tolisso and Kimmich and Robin all on the same side doing this weird change of position so I think um, when Robin gets back to full health I think we will see that Ancelotti will get back to that 4-2-3-1 so, so who's your who's your double pivot then in midfield? It, it, I mean, it's tough, and it's and it's situation dependent, obviously. The, the, yeah, sure. The likely choice or the um, preferred choice? Toby, give me both. <laughs> um, the preferred choice for now. I mean, I have to say for now because we don't know yet how that would look. Uh, but I would love to see um, Thiago and Rudy together. That was that's what I was thinking as well. <laughs> that's a that's a strong strong double pivot. Um, and then who at the ten? Do you put Thiago at the ten or do you put Müller at the ten? I think you could really risk, at least against most Bundesliga teams, um, having that four-two-three-one with Müller uh, behind Lewandowski and then Thiago and Rudy taking care of the midfield. Mm. Maybe. N- not the safest choice in a Champions League quarterfinal in Madrid. <laughs> Assu- even, even, assuming even we I get back there. I yeah, I wouldn't want to rule out that working. I mean, maybe it would work. Yeah, yeah, might as well. Like, like we said earlier, I mean, with Rudy and Thiago, you certainly have the most, um, the, the safest player in the build-up play on the pitch together, and especially together with uh, strong central backs like like Hummels and, and Boateng, I think that could that could really work. Although it's probably more likely to have um, Vidal starting in one of those big matches, and then maybe also have um, Thiago fill up that that second spot in the double pivot. So where does this leave? Okay, so I mean, there's plenty of conundrums to go around when you when you pick a starting eleven. Obviously, if everybody's healthy. Um, you're going to piss off somebody or Ancelotti is going to piss off somebody. Well, he did plenty of that last season. Where does this leave um, Javi Martinez? As a center back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was a a pretty decent uh, defensive midfielder, if I remember as well, back in the day. Four four or five years ago (laughs) with different, different style of football and all that. I mean, Harvey has become a top class center back. He's hit a bit of a of a low ever since those um, quarterfinal matches against Madrid. But yeah. prior prior to that, he was absolutely world class for like six or seven months. And that- I have no doubt that he can return to being that. And everything else is mainly nostalgic feelings yeah. <laughs> this is this is also true um, so are for both of you are your first choice center backs gonna be Boateng and Hummels or 
Yeah, yeah, I have to go. If if they both are fully healthy and if Jerome Boateng returns to concentrating on, on soccer like 100% <laughs> every five minutes, <laughs> I, th- I think those two are the, are the obvious choice. I mean, they both have the, the support at long 20, 30, 40-yard pass right onto the foot of the winger. And... Also, they both have superb defensive skills as well as Hummel showed last season and Boateng showed two seasons ago. Um, I think if you pair those two, this is a, a centre-back um, pairing that is probably unseen in European soccer right now, or uncomparable. Maybe maybe Juventus Turin has, has a similar similar defensive line, but, but I think Hummel's and Boateng would be top-notch. Toby? Um, theoretically, I agree. <laughs> it, it is a very, very strong pairing if they're both at that peak level that they've shown. There's, however, a massive question mark behind Boateng. There is a question mark behind Martinez. So I think the situation isn't as problematic as it appears because of those four available center backs it's pretty safe to assume that at least one maybe two will always be either injured or facing some form struggles <laughs> how sad so is that 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 that's going to be expected right? <laughs> it is sad but let's let's be honest it's, it's also, also likely yeah exactly <laughs> So so I think throughout the season, you won't have that many situations where it's a tough choice to make, unfortunately. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and and Sule definitely, I mean, offensively, like like, uh, Maurice, that was you that stated before, right? Um, Is definitely a boon on set pieces. Um, And he's not too shabby uh, on defense as well. And I tend to agree that out of the four, you're really not losing too much, regardless of what two happen to start week in and week out. Yeah. Right? You think? Yeah. Yeah? uh, Go ahead. I do think that, uh, sorry, um, for this season at least, knowing Ancelotti and his way of thinking, when it ever comes down to making that tough choice, Zula will take the backseat because he's the young, unproven guy. And if you bench him, that won't cause any problems. Yeah. That I tend to agree. Although, <laughs> looking at last season and what Carlo did, <laughs> I don't know. You never, <laughs> you never, you, you never, never know. You yeah, never you know. never know which direction, which direction he's going to go. And I, you know, uh, as much stick as I gave him, um, I think he can only improve uh, his man management, which he's supposed to be so good at, right? I think he can only improve um, on kind of his decision-making uh, from last season, hopefully. And maybe he can try to motivate the team to pass some balls to Lewandowski so he can win top score of the Bundesliga because yeah. that, that to piss him off, really. <laughs> I mean, if he wasn't pissing off Bob for that, he, he, you know, he pissed off 
uh, Jerome and Frank and all the youngsters and set Sanchez back a season. So let's give him a clean slate this year and see if he can do any better. <laughs> so, um, guys, who who really stood out um, in the Leverkusen match for you both? <laughs> That's the way I was feeling. <laughs> or is there a standout? Actually, it's 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 a tale of two halves, and I'm really really struggling to re- judge anyone based on this match because it was such such a random clusterfuck for most of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I approve of the word. P.S. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know you you could name anyone and make a case for anyone but I don't see a single person being particularly noteworthy in that match Maurice yeah same for me I, I, I gotta say I I like Ulrich for, for most parts of the match. Um, of course, that, that won't be a, um, a point worth making because, let's face it, if, if Manu Neuer is, is uh, back to full health, he, Ulrich will take the back seat. But I, I think he was he wants more proof that he is a he's a good backup, and at least for the Bundesliga matches, I'm I'm not too too afraid. Um, other than that, um, Vidal had his good moments on defense, had some good tackles. Um, I think, especially in the beginning, we saw Rui and Ribéry and Alaba work together quite well. Um, but, but like Toby already said, it's just too hard to point out a single player out of this team, um, especially because the second half was, yeah, really something special. <laughs> <laughs> as bad as it was, I guess, right? Yeah. Got to. I think. I don't know. You got to give a little credit. I think to Taliso, right? Kinda, I don't know. Yeah. Well, he has, he okay. Nice I will. Nice I will. I will. Yeah. I'm gonna be nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> it was a. It was a. It was a good uh, first competitive match for him. I think. Uh, like you guys stated before, the link-ups on the right um, went well. And definitely scoring a goal on your debut uh, in the Bundesliga is always nice. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's give him that. Okay, so we're going to say that and then we'll move on. And, and actually, it's kind of a good segue into the next section. Um, talking about um, all of our new signings. Yay. Um, first, uh, let's talk about San- uh, Renato Sanchez. Is he staying or is he still going out on loan? Well, I don't have any insights. Maybe you, Toby. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, well, nobody from the front office tried to call me today. So. <laughs> <laughs> Completely guessing, no information here, but I'm going to say he stays for now and... In January, he'll be loaned out or sold because I don't see him getting any minutes. Well, One. he had some minutes. Was it last night or on Sunday night against that against that fan team? He even he even scored two goals. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's so horrible. <laughs> I, I feel so sorry for the guy. Because he's got some massive raw talents. And pretty much all he needs is one or two years of intense coaching. It's become a bit of a of a stereotype, but I think he is the one Bayern signing of the last few years who would have benefited the most from Guardiola coaching. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that I totally give, agree with. Give him one or two years of, of that practice hell of rondos and all that stuff. And he'll come out a very decent midfielder who has the potential to turn into a force. Instead, he's spending the match days. I don't. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's got his phone with him and is playing <laughs> Candy can Crush. Angry yeah. Birds. God knows. <laughs> yeah. but, but he's wasting away, and it's it's very start, tough to watch. It's yeah, and, it, watch. and it's more and more getting into that situation where you have to say that this guy is wasting a potentially good career in Munich. Yeah. And he should yeah. get, get out as soon as possible. Yeah, it's, it's so sad. I mean, uh, I think we both, um, or we th all of us, um, still think back to this to this European Championship he played for Portugal, where, we, where he was just so so good and so lovely to watch uh, just him being this this force him taking all these dribblings um, and of course it was obvious that that those skills couldn't translate into the Bayern style of play but um, yeah like like you already said Toby there was no help from the coach whatsoever to to really show him the way to play this this Bayern this Bayern style of play and to help him with his positioning with his with his passing and yeah like you said he he seems a little bit lost and he seems to be wasting the prime years of his of his career or the, or the most defining years of his career is yeah, exactly. is is he the the new Breno less the arson <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> I, I think I, think, I, I hope he got, he got insurance for 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 burning his own house. So. <laughs> no, no. I, I think that's that's unfair for both of them. Yeah. No. <laughs> for, yeah. I mean, for, I say for, that in jest. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know, but 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 just just to to clarify, I mean, yeah. Breno. First of all, most of his problems were like injury problems and stuff like that. Right. Because when he did play. A couple of consecutive matches he was a very solid defender who did make the occasional mistake as young defenders tend to do but absolutely showed potential to be a part of the Bayern core for the next decade yeah that I agree with uh, but uh, so I made a joke, right? And it's a stupid joke. <laughs> it, no, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I, I was kind of referring to maybe the psychological aspect. Um, being young, trying to learn a new language, trying to learn, you know, a, a whole new league. Yeah. I mean, even though Portugal is still in Europe, it's you know it's it's a far cry from from the Bundesliga. Um, they both seem not the most gregarious, you know, not the most 
sort of gregarious personalities like a lot of the team are. Everybody's, you know, friendly and forthright and, you know, to a certain extent, but they're all, they know who they are. And, and kind of the, what I was getting at was uh, these are two young players trying to figure out, you know, Breno in his case from Brazil, mm-hmm. um, trying to figure out who they are in this new league with this language that's pretty hellish to learn. Um, and, and I wonder, you know, and though their reasons were different for, for, not being successful, um, I think it it ends up affecting them both psychologically a little bit the same. Yeah, and I do get what you're trying to say. I, I think the issue is kind of the other way around, that a huge part of them not making it is down to not feeling that they're part of it all. Okay. They b- both seem shy in not not that shy person way but uh, in terms of the collective mm-hmm. they don't appear very integrated into the group and, and just just as outsiders I think that's that's the key word right. Breno was an outsider who apparently didn't have that much contact with the other players aside from maybe uh, a few guys he could uh, communicate with and Sanchez uh, from what we've heard, isn't that much of, of of a popular guy either around there. So it's probably that they're young guys, not sure who they are. The language barrier is always a problem, but I mean, come on, there's so many international guys, someone definitely understands them. Well, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, it's up to the leaders and the coach to grab him, welcome him, fully integrate him and make sure that he feels he's a part of the team and once that's happened you would see him on the pitch not being that scared of making mistakes as he is now so so Ancelotti's decisions to start him in garbage minutes and then hand him a start against Hoffenheim last season which didn't make any sense um really kind of did, I think also did a number on him psychologically. Yeah. So, and we can only look that this, unless something magically changes, which I personally don't think is going to happen, um, we can only look at this sort of, you know, garbage time minutes, uh, you know, plus 75 or whatever into matches, or God forbid our entire midfield gets hurt um, till till he's included again. Yeah? I mean, it seems to kind of go that way. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Yeah? So where would you loan him out to? Do you think Hoffenheim would still be up for it? I'm, I'm always a big fan of, of uh, loaning players who are especially foreign to this German way of life, if, if, if it exists, uh, to this, um, yeah, <laughs> probably um, way of life with a lot of discipline and, of course, like you said, the language, which is tough to learn. So I'm a big fan of loaning those kind of players to another Bundesliga team that, that can... Um, that can cope with with the situation maybe a little bit better maybe because there are 
more players of his own age, maybe because um, the the coach is has a more open mentality towards young players, and I can see Hoffenheim matching both those criterions. Um, but in the case of Renato Sanchez, I think all the rumors you heard link him to teams in Italy. Um, I think maybe the, the play style there suits him better as well. Um, but I think if, if you loan him out to Italy, I think there's little chance of him returning to Bayern afterwards. Yeah, I would tend, <clears throat> I would tend to agree with that statement. So we talked a bit about uh, Sebastian Rudi all, already. Um, <clears throat> And Nicolas Sule, do we have... No, we have nothing really to add on that. Uh, how about Tolisso and, and, and what he does different than Thiago? And, and kind of how, how does the midfield work with him in it rather than with Thiago in it? It's a lot more... I almost said vertical, but that's not it. It's it's more a bit more chaotic, I would say. <laughs> do you think Do you think uh, Vidal has anything to do with that chaos as well? <laughs> Always, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Toliso, from the stuff I've seen so far, which admittedly it's been like four or five matches, um, seems to me a bit like um, something in between Thiago and Vidal someone who's yeah, that's fair. who's who's capable with the ball who can distribute the wall, ball relatively well but also someone who does rely on being a bit more vertical making more runs and not being that creative force so i do think he he has a spot in this in this Bayern squad because he's something that's absolutely needed but I don't yet know if it's enough uh, to become a full-on regular part of the starting 11 or more of a mid-term number 12 um, first guy to be subbed on type of role Maurice? But, yeah. yeah I think I think Tolisso is um just from the skill set that he possesses is is way more capable of replacing Vidal than he is of replacing Thiago. I think if you want to replace Thiago really one-on-one, one -on -one, which is maybe the toughest task on this Bayern roster right now, um, then you have to be this, this masterpiece kind of player who has always has his head up, always looks out, has the ability to, to to go into the dribbling and and maybe even go past one or two defenders and then still make the pass to the outlet pass to the wingers and always have yeah this this lookout for for everybody on the pitch and I think Tolisso just is is not there yet I think he needs this player next to him that's maybe why him and Rudy seem to work together quite well. Uh, and other than that, I think Tolisso, from what I've seen so far, has his strength in the in the in playing in uh, higher positions of the pitch, especially when he tries to overload the box. Something that we've seen both from from Vidal and also from someone like Bastian Schweinsteiger in the past. I think that is something that he does really well. We also had this 
I think this one combination was like maybe shortly after he scored that two 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 nothing goal against Leverkusen, where him and Lewandowski combined um, in in the in the opposing box, and Tolisso had that shot that I think hit the post. Uh, that was something that, that he seems to be really good at. Um, but like I said, to really form the play of Bayern, to to shape the play of Bayern, I think that is not something that that Tolisso is made uh, for yet, especially because he he isn't quite used to that to that um, to that tempo, to that to the pace of the of the game in the Bundesliga. Just because in 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 France, um, opponents do not tend to. Press uh, up high the, as on the pitch as, as Leverkusen does, for example, or most of the Bundesliga teams do now. <clears throat> All right. Well, moving on, we have opened a new academy. Uh, finally, right? 70, mil- 70 million euro on with a very cute new street address. Uh, 272 referencing February 27th uh, the founding date of the club 8 pitches youth dorms, clubhouse with office space multi-purpose sports hall very very fancy all headed up by Hermann Gerland Uh, Bayern hasn't produced a viable youth to senior transfer since David Alaba in 2011 Um, plenty of Plenty of mus- money invested here, guys. Um, when does the team start to see it pay off, or does it pay off? Probably the next wave of potential talents who could make the first team. That might be a thing of the upcoming four to five years, so probably guys who haven't really uh, benefited from that entire thing yet. All in all, I think it's absolutely about time for a club that seems so hell-bent on making sure everybody knows that their own talents and their own local guys are valued. It really, really was about time to get some high-class facilities ready. But to be honest, um, as great as they might be, um, the important part is the staff of the entire youth uh, section. You you need great scouts, you need great coaches, you you need um, a bigger philosophy that uh, shapes the entire youth system and that might be the thing that Bayern have been lacking more in recent times than uh, nice showers or all that stuff (laughs) (laughs) Maurice do do you do you tend to agree yeah, most certainly. I think um, we saw a lot of changes in the youth staff throughout the last years at Bayern, and a lot of candidates came and went. And um, starting with uh, with Jonker, who who had a short stay there, and then several former players that that got a chance to to do their best. And um, now, of course, with Herman Gallen, we have somebody that is um, well known for shaping young players in the club he 
had his share in in the career of players like Thomas Müller and also Bastian Schweinsteiger probably. But um, yeah, the, the whole the whole way this this nomination for him came up seems just so awkward. Like when when Karl-Heinz Rummenigge talks about him and Uli Hoeneß sitting together and over a beer or over a glass of wine, and one of them says, "Well, doesn't it seem like a task for Hermann Gerland?" Um, I don't think that's the way that um, that big businesses, big businesses like FC Bayern should should um, should. Uh, should um, yeah do like do like coaching hires um, I think that is that seems a little bit odd <laughs> and where does where does where does Brazo fit into all this I know um <clears throat> Especially like on our Skype chats on Mia Sunworld, like nobody was really thrilled about the hiring. Um, and then losing our best scouts and, and, and you know, it, it kind of seems like this... Uh, new positioning to to you know get on the youth train um, has kind of a little bit fallen off the wheels already before it's begun um, <laughs> with with the you know it's gone off the rails with with just sort of these maybe second and third choices for for really really important you know youth coaching decisions that are supposed to decide uh the future of Bayern so uh, the Brasa signing uh, what do you what do you guys expect from that very good question <laughs> I, I don't think anyone was thrilled um, but at the same time you cannot judge him yet be, because he's such an unknown factor in this entire thing his first interviews didn't exactly thrill me <laughs> or anyone I guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it, it, it certainly okay. thrilled a woman again and Uli Hoeneß who said Brasso already worked more than uh, or turned more stones than Matthias Sammer did in his three years at Bayern <laughs> yeah but they, they probably said the exact same thing about Sammer when he replaced <laughs> Nerlinger and before that and before that that's a typical uh, shit they do talking up the current guys talking down the past and that is the, the bigger problem than Brazzo himself, um, that it all just seems to be this weird, constant transition at the Bayern uh, board between two extremes of uh, we are this big family and we do things our way. And then they have problems with that, so they go full on uh, professionals and outsiders. And once they had some problems with that, they go back to their family. It's <laughs> incredibly frustrating to see that, and you just want to yell at them to finally find a sane middle way, like some path that has both the family factor and the professional outsiders. But it seems, well, unrealistic for the next few years at least. <laughs> Would you... Uh, 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 
I hate to say that. Would you think that? Okay, I'm going to say it anyway, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm scared. No, no. Do, do you... Uh, has Uli Honus's return caused... Um, Yes. More chaos? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes to everything. Yeah, no, that's yeah, all. Exactly. You hit the buzzer and you went with it. <laughs> I know what you want to say. Yes. Yeah? Maurice? I, I think I think uh, it's it's tough to to focus on this all of this on on a single person but that's that's true definitely i have to say it, it's but, not all on him no 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 but but it sort <laughs> but of you, feels like it and it, it certainly it certainly is more than a coincidence that after his return we had um for example, Reshka leave the team. We have we had those decisions that instead of signing maybe a an assistant coach that could provide some tactical sparks, we signed a former player in Willy Senor, and we didn't sign um, sign Philip Lahm to to replace Matthias Sommer or what was left of his role, but instead went for um, Brazzo, who is. Of course, at least as, as I see it from the outside, way more easy to deal with. Um, so it's, it certainly seems to be more than a coincidence, but I think it's too easy to just to just focus on on Uli Hoeneß on that one. I think it's 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 more than that probably. Yeah, but it's a podcast, and we're supposed to have you know <laughs> hot takes, <laughs> hot takes, and trashy opinions. <laughs> that way, everybody can yell at us later. <clears throat> okay, uh, I think I think you know we kind of said enough about all that. Before I review the scores really quickly, um, <clears throat> thoughts on fan protests. Uh, so the Bundesliga league wide has. Uh, Protested uh, very obviously, especially in the initial matches, with lots of uh, "fuck you" signs, for lack of a better word, and and um, the issue is between tradition and 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 modern football, basically. So you know, protesting against stupid halftime shows, which everybody should protest against. Uh, <laughs> Monday matches, which everybody you, you should also like protest. Anastasia? Oh my god. Please <laughs> stop this crap right now. It's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. Um, you know, so uh, and uh, it's tough. So, so the Bundesliga is trying to get a leg up on the Premier League as far as worldwide popularity. So, you know, as I look at it from an, an Auslander's standpoint, you know, here in the United States, I can see a bit of both sides. I I'm, I'm, tend to be more pragmatic. But then my, my fan club side, you know, and, and my Sudkova love, yeah, I love, I love the Bundesliga, the way that it existed a couple, a few years ago, the way that it even exists now. It's still, to me, the best league in the world by far. I almost watch nothing else anymore because I have to write about this all the time. You know, and, and, and I love the, the sort of aspect and the reputation it has throughout the rest of the world. Um, <clears throat> but 
if they're trying to compete on a monetary level with Premier League and others, concessions are going to have to be made somewhere. Mm-hmm. How do you guys feel about that? <sighs> Strongly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I understand both sides. I think both sides are acting in a very, very dumb fashion. The fan protests did include some good talking points, but it did seem a bit chaotic, a bit uh, unorganized, and a bit too much just like uh, we, we want to insult you. Just, just fuck off, leave us alone. On the other side, the league is trying to keep up with uh, the rival leagues, but some of their decisions are just laughable and absolutely awful. And all that being said, and all the touring of, of nations, which is important, and the TV deals that slightly improve um, I think in the end if the Bundesliga wants its clubs to be internationally competitive not now but in 5 to 10 years the only way probably is with some sort of external investments being made so maybe the, the smarter approach from, from the league uh, point of view would be to create a really good, really safe system where clubs can have investments uh, being made without risking their entire existence. And that's something I'm missing completely. You see with uh, the, the way the, cl the club has gone down the gutter because one guy is just going crazy you, you can't prevent clubs from fucking up from uh, single people making really awful decisions you can never protect anyone from that right but you don't have any type of uh, safety net or anything like that that, that gives the clubs and the fans most importantly a feeling of, of security of knowing okay there's some foreign guys investing but if that's not working out if they're not satisfied it doesn't mean that this entire club is going to die or go down to the, to the fifth tier or something like that and that in the end is um, in, in long term uh, views the most important thing because Sky Germany isn't going to pay up uh, three billions per year they just can't do that and the stadium revenue is can only be rec uh, increased uh, by increasing the ticket prices which will lead to crazy outcries from the fans so, so that is the only way to keep up with uh, international teams so yeah stop the dumb touring the done partnerships and finally create a system that makes you 
uh, a force to be reckoned with and without losing the uh, touch between uh, clubs and fans. So, <clears throat> a bit like Bayern. To a, a certain, way, yeah. to a certain extent. I mean, if you're talking about outsiders investing in a club like Bayern has, and still, I mean, business-wide, they do it better than anybody else in the Bundesliga, hands down, and probably better than anybody else in the world, hands down, right? As as far as a business yeah, yeah. entity goes, yeah. yeah. But there, and I know it it slips at times, and I know that the Sud curve is 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 fighting a lot. But they also they do try and tread the line between being a massive massive club and still being a fan friendly outfit. Now, mm-hmm. do, now do they succeed all the time? No, absolutely not. Uh, but, but that's that's not down to the investments. Right, right. The investments that, that, are a that, positive thing. Exactly. The the entire connection to the fans is something that would still be possible if the club itself acted uh, more smartly. Right. So I was I guess I was saying that more as a template um, mm-hmm. for business wise for other Bundesliga teams to follow. Does that make sense? Am I explaining myself correctly? Yeah, no, yeah, it makes sense. I'm I'm not sure if every club can go down that path because if say um, Augsburg or something like that um, sells ten to twenty percent of their club uh, shares. Well, it's not going to be the shares, Audi. They, they, yeah, <laughs> they, 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 they wouldn't make that much money. Um, so for some teams, uh, for some clubs, it probably is the only decent way of making money to sell the majority to an investment. But even then, when, when the majority is somehow gone, you still need that safety net. And that is something the league has to come up with. How can we guarantee that nobody dies because a single soul goes thumbs down and says, uh, you're not worth my time? Right. While at the same time keeping the league and the clubs as attractive targets for investments. You know, that that would be a that would be a, a really tough test, though. <laughs> well, sure, but I mean, they're well-paid guys who have <laughs> yeah. have lots have lots of times and. Maybe, uh, <laughs> Christian Seifert begs to differ, probably. <laughs> uh, one thing that. Uh, DFB did do, um, they announced the end of collective punishments for now, meaning that an entire fan uh, base block will not be disciplined for the behavior of minority. So they did give a little bit. Um, uh, Maurice, uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on, on, on the whole thing? Um, t- talking about talking about those those penalties or like the no all, no all just teams. the protests in general. Well, I think what what we're seeing is um, like like both of you said already is that that soccer or especially the Bundesliga is trying or and or or needs to um, 
needs to shift the focus on on new markets on on other things that um, in order to to keep up with the Premier League and this is something that 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 doesn't fit into the traditional fandom of, of most of most fans um, they don't like seeing their team have um, the logo of for example Qatar airport on their shirts or they don't they don't like um, having 50% of their team owned by some foreign investor and so I, I can most certainly understand them but uh, it seems to be the only way out because if if teams do not um, especially the, the smaller teams do not do not yeah, go, go that way they will be eventually lost and they will be overtaken by teams like Hoffenheim or Leipzig who just um, for one they have this this financial background of course but they also do smart work with, with that financial with that financial background and that is something if, if the other teams don't keep up they, they will get in trouble really soon like for example 1860 right and that's I mean I know we all like to bag on them as much as possible but it's still um, sexy uh, being now in out of professional football is 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 not a good thing for German football on the whole. No, no. We at least want him in the Dritte Liga, you know, so we can stomp on him every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, at least kick, at least kick him out of the German Cup. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, just a quick review of the other Bundesliga match day one scores. Um, of course, on, fi- on Friday, Bayern overtook Leverkusen 3-1 at the Allianz Arena. Saturday saw Hoffenheim 1-0 over Werder Bremen. Hertha BSC uh, scored 2 over Stuttgart. Hamburg 1-0 over Augsburg. Mainz uh, home debut lost by one to Hanover. Wolfsburg lost by three to Dortmund. Schalke was 2-0 up over Rosenball Sport Leipzig. <laughs> you know, you guys well hear you guys hear the hesitation there. And then on Sunday, Freiburg and Frankfurt drew 0-0 and Gladbach got 1-0 over Köln. Bundesliga table, unfortunately, for once, Bayern does not start in the top spot. They are in second with Dortmund in first. Uh, Bayern share the second spot with, wow, really with Hertha and Schalke, even though they in third and fourth. Uh, Hanover, Hanover 96 is fifth. Mönchengladbach and Hamburg uh, round out the European spots. Hoffenheim 8th, Eintracht Frankfurt 9th, Freiburg in 10th with Augsburg just following, Köln in the 12th spot, Mainz in 13th, Werder Bremen in 14th, 15th has Bayer Leverkusen, well deserved, and then (laughs) the final three spots see uh, Bayern Munich's next DFB Pokal round opponent, Leipzig, Stuttgart, and then Wolfsburg in the last spot. Um, one more thing before we go. How are we feeling about that uh, Leipzig draw? Oh, tough one. Really tough one. Couldn't, couldn't have hit us, hit us any harder than that one, I think. And it's well, a- it could have been a bit harder, but 
<laughs> yeah, Dortmund. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's an unfortunate draw, but I mean, in the end, what are you going to do about it? Right. And and it's either preceded or or by Leipzig in the league or the league match follows that as well. So we'll be playing them twice in a week. Yeah, I think it's Leipzig in, in the league and then, then the German Cup and then it's Champions League time and then I think it's Dortmund already. So Woof. tough weeks there in, in, in October. Yeah, for sure. You only expect those to come up, you know, March, April. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I think we can draw this to an end. Um, Maurice, where can we find you online? Um, on Twitter, uh, my handle is at thunder24mh. And Toby? Um, Twitter at red robbery. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's gotta do <laughs> Any, anything else. <laughs> Not up for public. <laughs> and I recently changed my Twitter handle. I am now at the Susie Schaff, T H E S U S I E S C H A A F. Don't ask me why I changed it. I have 800 business cards with Fußball Susie still on it that I have to toss out <laughs> now. But that's where I am. Uh, occasionally you'll find me writing for Mia Sunrult as well. And both Maurice and Toby also contribute a large portion. Thank you for joining us today. And we will be back at you weekly. And I'll have new guests and fellow writers from the Mia Sunrult site to bring you all your Bayern entertainment needs. Tschüss. Servus. Wir haben den Kampf gewonnen, wir sind ohne Kommen, der Eier hat's gemacht. Wir haben den Träumen von dir, unsere Weltplaner. Wir haben den Kampf gewonnen, wir sind ohne Kommen, der Eier hat's g